0: I'd like to welcome everyone to the Florence Weinberg Show. Frank McKay here. Much more importantly, Dr. Florence Byham Weinberg is our host each and every week. And she's the author of 15 books and more on the way. And uh, she's coming to us by way of San Antonio. And you can hear us on any number of 124 different outlets. And if you're joining us on one of those newer outlets... Welcome, and just keep listening to wherever you, you find us, which is great, but uh, it just uh, ab- absolutely wonderful. wonderful. The wonderful Dr. Florence Byham Weinberg. Doc, how are you?
1: I'm doing fine. Thank you, Frank.
0: Well, how is, uh, is the—oh, you were going to ask me something, but I was going to ask, how is the Texas legislature doing? Uh, they, they seem <laughs> to be concerned with things that, that don't matter, and they're ignoring some things that do matter.
1: Yes, well there's there are culture wars going on with the uh, with the Republican right right now. And uh, the Texas legislature only meets once every 2 years if you can believe that. Wow. And uh, yeah. And this time, of course we had uh, a week of uh, below freezing weather. In fact, uh, we had weather down to eight degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, one day was somewhere between eight and 11 degrees Fahrenheit, uh, which killed half of the vegetation or certainly set it back. We have palm trees here in, in San Antonio. Wow. Uh, and only about, uh, I'd say, a third of them survived and have pr- sprouted greenery. And the rest of them are these very tall columns with the uh, uh... dead vegetation on top uh... and that will have to be taken care of removed and so on anyway uh... this was because our electrical grid was not adequate had we had already had a cold snap bit way below freezing about ten years earlier and uh... uh... the, the legislature didn't do anything about it then and it didn't this this time they didn't uh, really talk about the electrical grid they were too busy to, uh, trying to pass laws uh, and they failed thank god but anyway pass laws against allowing transgender gender children to play sports in schools wow, wow. Uh, they had a previous Legislative session in which they tried to keep transgender children or transgender people altogether from using uh, the bathrooms uh, that were uh, the bathrooms they felt they ought to be using according to their sexual identity not their biological sexual identity uh, and that that uh, took up most of the legislature time that year and now it is uh, sports for uh, transgender children um, and uh, that one that one got uh, defeated uh, but then there was the other thing which is Don't teach about slavery in Texas history. Wow! We can't have the truth told. (laughs) For instance, the Battle of the Alamo uh, was fought in part to preserve the right to own slaves. Wow. (laughs) So that is is partly what I'm going to talk about, actually, because I'm publishing a book that has to do— uh, obliquely has to do uh, with that very problem, and it's called "Before the Alamo: a Tejana's Story." And uh, Tejana, uh, Tejana—the word is Texan in Spanish—and um, uh, it is the ter- the term that uh, Spanish-speaking Texans used to call to designate themselves. And the Anglos, the ones who were English-speaking, called themselves Texians, with an I in it. Not Texans, but Texians, back in the 19th century. Anyway, the book, Before the Alamo, is about a young woman growing up. She was born in 1814, and she was, what, 22? 22? 22 uh, in 1836 and she acts as a nurse during the Battle of the Alamo. The Battle of the Alamo is not central to the story but I used it before the Alamo as my title because the words the Alamo bring people's attention, Universally, word, worldwide, thanks to Hollywood and a TV series that featured Fess Parker uh, and, of course, a three-hour movie called The Alamo uh, starring John Wayne in 1950, I think, is Did- when that came out.
0: Did he, uh, was he uh, Davy Crockett? Uh, who was he? Uh, uh,
1: John Lane Gosh, I think he was Davy Crockett. Yeah. Uh, Jim
0: Bowie. Yeah. Uh, yeah, probably Davy Crockett. He probably would have been.
1: Yeah. yeah. And Fess Parker was Davy Crockett in the TV series. Yes. And I always uh, laugh about the name Thess Parker because Fess is the name for buttocks in French. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs>
1: but most Americans don't know that, so they take <laughs> him quite seriously. <laughs> wow. <well. laughs> but anyway, uh, back to the subject. Um this book took me a long time to write because I had to learn Texas history. I'm a New Mexican, and I know a little bit more about New Mexico history because I grew up there in part. Um, but um, I researched it in the Alamo, in the archive and library uh, in the Alamo between 2016 and 2018, at which point uh, the Uh, the whole Alamo, including the library and archive, were seized by the state of Texas, and the librarians and archivists were locked out. They changed the locks so that the uh, librarians came to work that morning, and I came to do my my work also, my research, and we were all locked out. Mm. (laughs) And that was the high-handed way uh, that... uh, uh, the uh, the state was uh, was handling the the takeover, <laughs> and so they caused a good deal of ill will in in doing so. And they're now trying to make a uh, um, a real fancy monument out of uh, the Alamo. Mm. Uh, but and this is all beside the point. Uh, my book, then, I offered to big publishers in New York City through an agent who had connections that way and the big uh, publishers in New York City spat on the book and said it's <laughs> uh, local local yokel stuff we uh, don't want to be bothered with it and uh, so my agent then said sorry I can't represent you anymore Oh, yeah uh, <laughs> I offered her another book and she rec- she just turned that down cold uh, it was even worse because it was about uh, the, the French Renaissance, and nobody would be interested in buying a book in that, uh, in that area. Uh, anyway, so the book lay dormant during 2020, of course, thanks to uh, COVID, um, and I was occupied by uh, writing something else, uh, my, namely my memoir. Uh, but now uh, it's the uh, this book before the Alamo is going to be published, and so I want to talk about it a little bit.
0: Yeah. Well, l- listen. First of all, congratulations on, on another on another title. I mean, this is uh, uh, this is terrific. Uh, second of all, uh, shame on them for saying it's just local because all of these issues that you're talking about uh, are are pertinent. Uh, to the uh, uh, the story of America, especially the um, you know you 're going to touch on you know if you 're going to touch on slavery and and the fact that the alamo yeah. was, uh, was was fought in posh par- partial to uh, uh, to preserve slavery uh, the other thing is the the Alamo was an international uh, story. I mean, it, it's a uh, it, it's a well read and re- well told story all over the world, not just in America. But the Alamo is
1: that's
2: a, it. Yes, yeah, yes,
1: it's a big deal indeed. And therefore, I just had to have the the name Alamo in the title. Yeah, because uh, because of that very fact that uh, people would uh, would recognize. Oh, that must have to do with the Battle of the Alamo. Yeah. Uh, which and there is a chapter in it about exactly that, a couple of chapters. Um, but the issues uh, for uh, over which the battle was fought um, are basic to the book. Uh, and before I get back to my own book, yeah. a new book came out called Forget the Alamo. <laughs> uh, and there was a full-page uh not editorial, but a review of the book uh, in the San Antonio Express News, which is, by the way, a very good paper. Uh, It's a balanced paper giving both sides in the editorials. uh, And this particular review uh, I found very interesting. Uh, There were three authors to it, uh, Brian Burrell, Chris Tomlinson and Jason Stanford, and they did a lot of historical research. And the main point of the book is to point out that the heroic Anglo fighters were not so much as fighting for freedom as, as we were just saying, to seize Texas for themselves, the Anglo's, and to preserve the right of uh, having of owning slaves. Mm. And what had happened was uh, that the Texans revolted against Spain way back in the beginning. Uh, ac- actually, the Texans were descendants of Spaniards, white Spaniards, white. Spaniards came into Texas in 1618 and established missions. And the reason they were establishing missions along the Sabine River was to keep French out. So it was a, a power play between two European nations, both of them white, yeah. France and Spain. And most of the missionaries came from northern Spain, and so they were doubly white. Um, and uh the big influx of Spaniards came, uh, that I should say, I should say the big influx into San Antonio came in uh, 1831 when the King of Spain uh, persuaded a group of starving merchants and farmers on the Canary Islands uh, to take noble titles and some money and colonize New Spain. And the portion of New Spain that was suddenly designated to be colonized was Texas, wow. and uh, particularly San Antonio. And so um, these people then um, were very white. They didn't have much Moorish blood in them. But they brought, when they came in, they came in with the, the racial prejudices of the Spanish At the time, from the Middle Ages and Renaissance and on and on to today, as a matter of fact, against the Muslims, uh, those North Africans with their olive skins and straight black hair, uh, who uh, invaded Spain in 711 A.D., and uh, took over the government from the Visigoths, who had taken over the government from the Romans <laughs> <laughs> in, in four, uh, 408 A.D. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, anyway, these people uh, were of a different religion, and they were darker-skinned, and therefore they were inferior. And there was the reconquest of Spain from the north. Uh, And uh, it culminated with Fernando and Isabel in 1492, expelling all Jews and Muslims from Spain. And so there was a great exodus of all the intellectuals and uh, patricians uh, uh, out of Spain uh, into the rest of Europe. Uh, so uh, that is the history, and it's a racial history, a racial prejudice history. And so the uh, the white Spaniards came in with their own racial prejudices, which, as I just said, they all they retain. So it, uh, of course the real natives of San Antonio were the Indians, the so-called Indians, the natives who had been here since God knows when, at least an eon. Uh, <laughs> and when people, when these white uh, settlers intermarried with some of the Native people, and then they were looked down on as mestizos, uh, a people of mixed blood. So those were second class.
3: Uh,
1: and the, the heroine of my book, the protagonist of my book is a, is a little girl who grows up uh, during the pages of the book uh, and she is the daughter of one of these Patricians, from ultimately from the Canary Islands, um, who, interma- who uh, not intermarried, but uh, impregnated a servant uh, Indian woman. And so this little girl is born a half-breed and therefore inferior. And she has to make her way through the pages of my book, uh, and become literate and uh, and a factor in uh, the story of Texas. Um, and of course, she she marries another half breed, who is a historical character. My girl is modeled on historical character, but not uh, closely. Anyway, uh, she she marries a half breed who who uh, fights alongside the Anglo's in the Alamo battle and dies. Wow. Uh, he's one of the heroes of the uh, of the Battle of the Alamo, although almost unrecognized because the Anglo's uh, the Anglo's really took over after the Battle of the Alamo. They were able to take over because. Uh, the history of Texas is so complex. It is not simply the matter of us versus them,
2: well, can, can I, the can Anglo's
1: I, versus can, the Mexicans.
0: Can I interject a question here? I'm going to please. This is going to be a guess. This is coming. And pardon my ignorance, because I don't know much about the Alamo and the history of San Antonio. But is one of the reasons uh, that the the anglos took over and the white anglos took over after the alamo is because the the propaganda and you know you know some of it justifiable against santa Ana and uh and the mexicans was so high on alert and you had mentioned forget the alamo which is a play on the on the remember the alamo uh, cry for, sure. for texas mm-hmm. so uh was the reason the the anglos took over after that or are they aided by the uh, the hatred of the mexicans
1: yes uh this is this was the situation of the native po- the people who were already here and not the uh, not the indian population i'll use the word indian because native american
0: doesn't work uh, <laughs> there right
1: it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work well. Uh, the, the people who were born here were also the people from the Canary Islands who came in, in 1731. So they had several generations here uh, when the Anglos started coming in. And what had happened was that during the early uh, 19th century, um, there was a rebellion against Spain and its tyranny by uh, people who were already intermarried with the Indians, like Miguel Hidalgo, who was a priest down in uh, central Mexico, uh, who started a revolution. And Texas uh, caught fire, and uh, they got an army up of uh, people who wanted to uh, contribute to this revolution against Spain. They wanted... Mexico which was then called New Spain they wanted New Spain to be free of spanish doc, uh, dominance and they fought a battle at the at the uh, river at medina river which is a river that runs close to about 20 miles maybe away from san antonio and it was 1300 revolutionaries versus the Spanish royal, uh, the well, New Spain royal army, Uh, and that was 1,800 trained troops, and General Arredondo was the general who commanded the royalist army, which simply slaughtered the 1,300 men. They were slaughtered down to the last man, uh, those who ran were were uh, chased and slaughtered. So nobody survived. And then Arredondo and his victorious troops moved into San Antonio, and they s- continued slaughtering anybody who had federa- f- Federalist sympathies. And they went throughout the uh, the state doing the same thing. So the population was about 6000 probably yeah about 6000 Spaniards and the indians of course um, and it was it fell to about 3000 women and children and of course uh, the federalists uh, who took refuge in, uh, in louisiana and who came back eventually Mm. Well, so that then finally Spain got sick and tired of struggling to keep uh, New Spain subjugated, and so they gave Mexico its, um, and, they, and of course New Spain took the title Mexico, uh, Mexico, uh, which probably uh, ultimately was an Indian word, but uh, anyway they gave Mexico Mexico its uh, independence in 1821. And a constitution, which is very, very similar to the United States Constitution, mm-hmm. came out in 1824, in which uh, the states, the, the, what the places that had been provinces, and Texas was one of the provinces, and then there was Coahuila and Chihuahua and uh, and uh, Nuevo Leon, I mean, uh, and so forth. Um, So all those provinces were made uh, states, but Texas, because it had such a low population, was combined with Coahuila, which was the uh, province right below us, Uh, now a Mexican state right below us, Coahuila. And Coahuila then gained access to the uh, Gulf of Mexico, so it had a port. And Texas gained some more population. Of course, the Texans were not pleased. But uh, they were happy with the uh, Constitution of 1824, which, by the way, forbade slavery. Slavery was totally outlawed. Mm. Well, uh, because of the low population of Texas, Stephen Austin brought in 350 families. Anglo families and promised that they would convert to Catholicism and learn Spanish and be good citizens of Mexico. And they were. But then Thousands of other Anglos were waiting on the borders of Louisiana, the, the border between Louisiana and Texas, um, and from the border between Arkansas and Texas, uh, and, uh, figuratively speaking, banging on the doors to get in. Uh, it was similar to the the Sooners in Oklahoma. They, it wasn't that they were all lined up uh, with their wagons, horses, families, and, the, and and so on, waiting for the gunshots so they could rush in and grab land. But what they really wanted was to rush in and grab land. Yeah. And they were already infiltrating. Uh, after Steve, Stephen Austin sort of broke the, the main barrier against Anglos coming in, they were infiltrating, and what what do you do with the swampy, um, pine-forested, hot, humid uh, uh, East Texas? Well, you, you grow cotton, hmm. and that was the big uh, cash crop, but who could cultivate cotton? The Native Indians, if you enslaved them or if you used them as your servants to, to cultivate the cotton, they died. They were unable to withstand the uh, the heat and the humidity, right. but the black uh, the black Africans that were being imported by the British and the Dutch were the ones who could withstand those conditions. And so the Anglos, who were rushing in and oftentimes squatting illegally in Texas, were bringing in their slaves so that they could cultivate cotton. And naturally, it was against the law. So what were they doing? They were calling these black slaves indentured servants so that they could come in legally. And of course, they were not people who were working off uh, their servitude, so they'd be free eventually. They were going to be worked to death in the cotton field. Wow! Yeah,
2: how
0: terrible! So the, what a what a terrible history we have, right? I mean, it's just, Yes, it
1: exactly. Out. Wow. So, so uh, what was hap- what happened with the Battle of the Alamo? Well, it was a, a group, and a sort of a militia of Anglo's. Who came in and took over a fort that had been occupied by the uh, by the Mexican army, and they they drove out. <laughs> it was General Coss. It was the Mexican general. They drove General Coss and his army out. They they besieged uh, their fort, which was the Alamo, and uh, Coss gave up and left. And Santa. Santa Ana, meanwhile, of course, here we had this Constitution of 1824, which had turned uh, Mexico into a republic, a representative republic, Uh, and... uh, uh, so each state had its its uh, governor and legislature, and it had a little uh, it had a little army. Each each state had its own little army, also, which is not the, the case here in the United States. But yeah. uh, that was one wrinkle that was different. But anyway, uh, the uh, the, uh, the Tejanos were happy with this. But then Santa Ana came under the pretext of being uh, properly elected, and then he declared himself dictator. And so the the citizens of San Antonio were divided. Some of them wanted to go along to get along. Uh, My country first of all, you know, uh, my country before all, and I'll forget the politics. And there are many, many Americans who who are doing the same right now. And then there were the others who were loyal to the Constitution of 1824. And so the citizenry of, of uh, San Antonio was divided between the people who were, you know, my country, uh, right or wrong. I think it's the way it, the saying goes, my country, right or wrong, or those who uh, who believed in a representative democracy.
0: You know, the more things change, the more things stay the same. <laughs>
1: right? He the truth. Wow. <laughs> so... so When the the Texians took over the Alamo, um, uh, Santa Ana was furious. He had already gone to war against the Federalists, as they called themselves, those who were pro-representative democracy in Mexico itself. And he had already destroyed the, uh, uh, the city of Zacatecas, which had been a Federalist city. And so uh, Mexicans were killing Mexicans already, uh, as they had done against uh, the Spanish rule before, not too long before. But anyway, so Santa Ana then uh, won the battle in Zacatecas and decided he'd come on up and uh, whoop those Anglos and get them out of Texas he wanted to to uh, clean it was uh, going to be ethnic clean, cleansing get yeah. those anglos out of texas they have no business here because they're bringing in their slaves under false pretenses so that's why santa ana lit on san antonio first and why the battle of the alamo happened the way it did and he wasn't he wasn't going to give them any quarter Uh, But there was, uh, and this is unbeknownst to most everybody, and it certainly isn't in the myth of the Alamo. He offered the defenders of the Alamo an armistice so they could decide whether they really wanted to fight to the death or not. And, uh, and the uh, defenders of the Alamo decided that they would go ahead and fight. But there was an armistice of three days during which there was a parley, and some people left. And so it's not this solid, uh, stalwart, heroic, um, defense of freedom that we've all learned as children. Uh, it was uh, a negotiated pause, and then the battle Ensued because the battle without quarter uh, ensued because the Anglos decided that they would fight um, uh, Santa Ana to the death. And it was obvious that it was going to be that way because there were something like 3,000 Spanish or Mexican troops uh, against the, um, the defenders of the Alamo. Okay, now, what was the population of San Antonio doing, meanwhile? Well, some of them came uh, into the Alamo to fight with the Anglos, so it was a mixture of Tejanos and Texians, and, um, and the rest were going along to get along, and so they didn't take either side. They just hunkered down, uh, and the, uh, the bullets whistled over their heads. And so that's the way it really went. Do do, do you know? (laughs) And of course,
0: if I could just say something, do you know? Nowadays, do you know how many people would be sympathetic towards Santa Anna uh, if uh, in this particular fight? Right. I mean, right. Yeah. Think about it. He was on he he was on God's side, right? He was on he was uh, you know, and it sounds so anti-patriotic for us to say, but uh, I mean, think about it. Uh, He was fighting for anti-slavery. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, of course, he was fighting for total domination. Well, of course, but, no, no,
0: no, no doubt. But, uh,
1: part of his, yeah, exactly. Part of his mission was to get rid of these slave owning usurpers of property <laughs> that were in Texas.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Wow. Yeah, dictator. Yes, let's not forget he was a dictator. But there would be a lot of people that would be that would have sympathy on the side of uh, of the Mexicans.
1: Of, of Santa Ana, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if if it wasn't for the fact that it was called the Battle of the Alamo, it was some other battle. Uh, but then, of course, um, uh, Sam Houston had gathered a ragtag army <laughs> uh, of uh, of Anglos, and uh, at San Jacinto then, uh, uh, only weeks later, uh, surprised Santa Ana's army and whooped. The heck out of them, and the battle cry was "Remember the Alamo," and therefore the the phrase "Remember the Alamo" lives uh, in uh, in glory from from then on. But what happens then is that the Anglo's rush in as they did in Oklahoma. They take over, and they do it by they some of them bought out. The people who were already here, who were white, <laughs> Spaniards, um, uh, bought, either bought them out for practically nothing, or they held them at gunpoint and, uh, and forced them out of their homes and onto the streets and took over their properties, or they simply shot them. But anyway, they vilified anybody who spoke Spanish as uh as ma- meskin greasers this is what i heard when i was a child there's mexican greasers these meskins they're lazy shiftless stupid uneducated oh, wow. and totally incompetent uh and that was the attitude towards mexicans <laughs>
0: Well how, uh, how how wrong did that turn out to be? I mean just
1: well I mean totally wrong. We've had a uh, we've had wonderful mayors of San Antonio who were were uh, Spanish speakers and uh, who grew up speaking Spanish despite the fact that in Texas schools until at least the 50s and possibly the 60s uh it was against the school rules for any child to speak Spanish.
0: Yeah, wow. Wow. <laughs> Talk about And you know, so Jim many Crowish. of
1: the many Hispanic children grew up not knowing their own language.
0: Yeah. Wow. What what a, you know, honestly, we have, part of our history is so disgraceful. It's it's unbelievable. But, you know, part of it too is growing up as a child um Mexicans were portrayed even in cartoons as being, you know, uh, they're having their siestas all day and the the big hat, the sombreros over the face, and it's like, please leave me alone, let me sleep. You know, it's uh, it's this terrible stereotype that that we grew up with as children that somehow Mexicans were lazy. Now we're seeing, you know, I mean, how hard the Mexican people and the people of South America and and Central America – how hard they work to become citizens. You know, mm-hmm. shame right. on our, our, our history, <laughs> on so much of our history is so shameful.
1: Right, right. So anyway, my book, to get way back to my yeah. book, uh, portrays the real portrait of Portrays the portrait. Sorry about that. Uh, Anyway, portrays a picture of, uh, of what the civilization before the Alamo really was like. It was a perfectly viable, legal, structured society modeled on the Spanish society. And there was nothing wrong with it. It worked perfectly well. Uh, until the Anglos, well, until the Battle of the Medina River, because the, that battle, although it's almost totally forgotten, it's certainly not a byword in in American history, but it caused the entire Texas situation afterwards, the decimation of, of uh, Texas population by General Arredondo, who was killing off Federalists wherever he found them, leaving only women and children, or mostly, uh, caused the Anglos to be able then to come oh, come in first with Stephen Austin and then with the squatters and the settlers and so forth. And I won't even get into the impresario business uh that, actually occupying it, mm-hmm. uh, so that uh, Angos could come in and take possession of, uh, say, a thousand acres here and there. Um, but uh, the Battle of Medina began all that. And of course, that's what caused the Battle of the Alamo when uh, Santa Ana came up to fix it. <laughs> wow. So my book shows how this all came about from the point of view of somebody who was actually living it.
0: Now, the little girl, without spoiling, the little girl that was uh half breed, so to speak, right? Uh yeah, you know, as they would call um, was she based on you, you mentioned that she was based partially on a historic figure. Uh who uh who were you thinking of?
1: Uh, I may get sued for this. <laughs> Well, one of the founding families, there were two main founding families, or oh, there are several, really, but two of the names that are uh, generally known are is Navarro and Veramendi. Now, obviously, Veramendi is basically Italian, but, yeah. um, but they were the dominant families in San Antonio. And the eldest son uh, in the Navarro family in uh, its turn of the... Uh, of the uh, 18th to the 19th century. The the, uh, the eldest son was Ángel Navarro, mm. and he had a younger brother named José Antonio Navarro, who was uh, one of two uh, Hispanic signers of the Texas D- Declaration of Independence that was written in
2: 1836.
1: <clears throat> <laughs> and uh Um, then promulgated after the battle, of course. Uh, But uh, So that was a family that was very important. Anyway, the the Navarro family, the Angel Navarro family, had um, an Indian servant, a female servant, but all we know of her name was Maria, and this is historical, and it was a document I found at the Alamo Archive. And Maria had been adopted when she was a tiny baby, was taken from her tribe. uh, That was a tribe along the Rio Grande River uh, and raised by a Spaniard as a Spanish young lady. So she knew nothing about her folkways, her real uh, native folkways. She knew only what a Spanish girl would know growing up so she was uh, she could p- play the piano she dressed as a spanish young lady she could read and all of these things and yet um when she was old enough her uh, adoptive father uh, fell victim to her charms and raped her oh my god and then when uh, when she became pregnant he sold her on the slave market which was illegal, by the way. Oh, my gosh. Uh, and so she, she went through another um, another Spaniard, I think. A, a military man owned her for a short time, and then Angel Navarro uh, bought her. And he treated her simply as a slave. Uh, she actually went to the governor, and there's, uh, there's a record of that. She went to the governor to complain because uh, it was illegal to have Indian slaves, or slaves at all. But particularly the native people were not supposed to be enslaved, and so she went to the governor and complained to him. And the governor told her, well, as long as you have a baby girl, um, you're going to have to stay with the Navarro family. And so she did. But this girl, whose first name was Petra, so she was Petra Navarro, was baptized uh, in Fernando uh, Church, which is now Fernando Cathedral, uh, in January of uh, 1814. And then the record of Petra Navarro disappears. But I took this girl, who might have died in infancy for all I know, Um, or she might have been someone who was later uh sort of in the family, uh, Chipita, I think is is the nickname uh, uh, this uh, person who turns up in the family is called Chipita and she died in uh, Monterrey during a cholera epidemic. So that might have been Petra, I don't know, but in any case, I simply took off. I named the family Altamirano, and uh, and uh, uh, the, the father's name, Antonio Altamirano, and her name is Emilia Altamirano. The father does not recognize her as his child and leaves her with the mother, Maria. But the mother can't raise her as an Indian or half-breed child. She raises her as a Spanish young lady because that's all she knows so Emilia uh, grows up then with all the graces of a Spanish young lady uh, and uh, although she is not allowed to to go to school with the legitimate children uh, she nonetheless gets Jose Antonio Navarro to teach her how to read and uh, unbeknownst to everybody she is kin to him so, because her father was his brother. Yeah. Actually, in my in my fiction, her father was his cousin.
0: Yeah, which is a little. Uh, little anyway, little so
1: that's the way the story goes, and uh, she, uh, Jose Antonio, takes her to the city council meetings uh, as as a servant to uh, to take care of uh, refreshments for the. Uh, for the members, but she, being a precocious and very intelligent young woman, uh, learns all about uh, what's going on in San Antonio and keeps track of it. Wow. Um, yeah. So, uh, and so on. I mean, there are all kinds of adventures going on, uh, also. Uh, but uh, that's, that's more or less what's, what, how the book runs. And then the Battle of the Alamo comes around, and uh, she had already uh, uh, nursed uh, during a cholera epidemic, which actually happened in San Antonio, and uh, had learned from a young Anglo doctor uh, uh, how, to, how to be a nurse. And so she's able to be a nurse during the battle. And uh, then afterwards she continues to nurse the uh, the wounded soldiers, no matter which side they fought on. And uh, the doctor comes back and rescues her eventually, and they eventually do marry and uh, and have children together. so that's that's the story.
0: this is wonderful as as all your stories. Um, this is uh, you know listen, it's terrific. do you uh, do you feel a uh i don't know do you get a feeling when you're done with the books if it reminds you of anything else uh you know like the, for example this heroine, uh is she is she like or unlike anything you've written before
1: she's totally unlike anything I yeah. ever wrote before <laughs> yeah uh I just decided. Um, I I just decided to take on Texas history and try to straighten it out so the people could understand it. It is incredibly complex, however, and people simply like to think in uh, binary pairs, us versus them, and we're still doing the same thing. So I think my my effort to show the complexity of uh, what actually happened in Texas is uh, is going to fall on deaf ears.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know that you're going to change anybody that wants to stop the teaching of, uh, of slavery in Texas. Yeah, I don't think they're going to, uh, you know, I, I don't think they're going to be changed. It's going to be generational. It's going to have to be their children. Um mm-hmm yeah that's i guess that's what they're hoping for is that their children will grow up thinking like them you know that uh you know hey uh my country right or wrong and and they'll have a new you know a, a whole new generation of people not caring about other people let's say and <laughs> and uh, yeah. you know to put so much emphasis just to kind of go full circus, uh, circle to uh, to put so much emphasis on whether uh, transgender children should play sports or not yeah. is, uh, <laughs> yeah. is is such a you know terrible and a ridiculous. Uh, you know, can you can you explain to me why a transgender child wouldn't be able to play sports? I mean, what is the you know like uh, is it deciding you know like what's, what team they're on? I guess what. Whatever team they identify with is, is what they should be able to try out for and it should be up to their yeah, exactly. you know
1: and of course with uh, with modern medicine, a transgender child, uh, if it is a male trying uh, trancing into a female, uh, he gets uh, doses of estrogen and so all of his uh, testosterone muscles uh, disappear and his hips widen and he gets breasts and 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 uh, he has the same strength and and maybe ability as as a, uh, a talented female uh, who was born female uh, would have. So I see no reason why the poor fellow, now a girl, uh, is not allowed to play uh, with uh, with a girls' basketball team, for instance. Uh, I mean, it's just absurd.
0: Yeah. Now just uh, listen wonderful as always doc and and again the name of the book is before the alamo and uh I, again when will it be when when will it be uh, readily available
1: oh i i don't know i'm just uh just now um contracting with a designer and uh, I'm in con- in contact with her. She's sent me some questionnaires. Uh, she's going to design the cover. I'm calling, uh, since I'm self-publishing it, I'm calling my publishing company Maywood House uh, because uh, I think it was either, I-, I forget whether it was ISBN or the copyright people asked me uh, what the name of the publishing firm was going to be and i I am incorporated as a business because I do editing, yes. uh, professional editing for uh, press for presses, for authors who are publishing with uh, with other presses. Um, and I am FM Weinberg Incorporated. And so the copyright people asked me if I wanted F.M. Weinberg Incorporated to be the publisher, and I thought, no, that's really prosaic, and everybody would know it's it's self-published. So I gave it my middle name plus Wood, so my middle name is May, and so May Wood House. and I think it sounds rather distinguished. <laughs> yeah, I, I do
0: too. Maywood House. I mean, uh, why not like Random House? Ha- you know, it, it feels a little like Random House or something along those lines. <laughs> it's good, I, right? It's terrific, and and we'll be hearing much more about it as we move on. But uh, Doc, congratulations! Any last thoughts?
1: Uh, no, just just think think good thoughts so that I can uh, do this. Uh, gracefully and uh, and quickly, because I'm I have a, uh, a marketing campaign beginning, and I need all of the help and good luck and good wishes that I can gather for that enterprise.
0: Right, way to go, Dr. Florence Byham Weinberg. Thank you very much. Thank you, you're Dr. You're welcome. And to everyone out there, we thank you for listening we know you have a lot of choices and uh we encourage everyone to, to get the book when it's ready but uh especially in, you know keep an eye on on july uh you'll be hearing a lot more about uh the doc's book and uh and, and again and and books in general and keep a, an ear out and keep an eye out frank mckay signing off we'll see you next time on the florence weinberg show